0: What is up everybody, welcome back to another edition of the Sheehan Show here on Sherdog.com uh, and we're back with another judging show, uh, I've done a few in the past, uh, over the last you know 16 months or however long I've been here in Sherdog, want to do more uh, in the future and do them even more regularly uh, because obviously it's a big thing that I've talked about over the last few years and probably no one outside of me has talked as much about judging as the man who joins me today uh, from the New York Post and the brilliant Coach I Judges podcast, uh, Scott Fontana, Scott thank you very much for joining me, How are you today?
1: I'm doing well, Sean, and it is a pleasure to be on the show with you and talk to uh, a fellow judging nerd.
0: There aren't many of us, as we were just saying before we uh, we started there, so hopefully a lot of people will will tune in and listen to us, I suppose, talking about the judging uh, and the intricacies of of judging. I I think, you know, in the last year or two or three years maybe even. I think a lot of people really have learned more about judging than they uh, ever have before. Maybe the two of us can pat ourselves on the back for that and a few other people as well. But I think a lot of people know maybe the criteria, know the three five pages now, but maybe we'll get into a few things here that are kind of beyond that maybe are a little bit more intricate um, and a, a little bit deeper. What have you thought, though, of that before we get into any of that? And I know we're going to talk about misconceptions, first of all, to start here, because that's always the question I'm asked first. So I feel like I should throw the same one at you when we're talking about judging. But what do you feel like that kind of knowledge, uh, where do you think we're at now in terms of the people knowing the actual criteria, reading the 3.5 pages? Do you think that is, like, I, I think a lot more people have it. I think there's a large percentage of people that know that base knowledge today as compared to, let's say, four years ago.
1: I think you're right. I, I think there's a lot more uh, general talk about it, and and honestly, a lot of weeks I feel like there's way too much talk about the the criteria and the judging and that kind of thing. for For someone who, again, we're we're judging nerds, we read this paper all the time and we talk about it all the time. But I feel like it it, it almost has taken on greater significance sometimes than the actual events of the fight, then people can kind of lose themselves in going down the, the rabbit hole of talking too much about judging when they can really just enjoy the fight, too. Um, that That's like, it's almost a weird thing because it's good. I think education is getting out there, but it's, it's again, it's starting to kind of shout over the conversation about the fights themselves.
0: Uh, that's I said the exact same thing there a while back. I did a podcast about it. It was like, Uh, I wouldn't not do I suppose the coverage I've done over the last few years and I'd say you would probably say the same but like um, I think that coverage has kind of led to some of this as well and I don't know is that necessarily a good thing but I suppose that's maybe for people to decide outside of us as well. Let's talk about those misconceptions, and I suppose maybe we've already kind of touched on a few of them, but when you think about, like, MMA judging, and you think of I suppose the understanding of people's uh, thoughts on, on MMA judging and the criteria we have at the moment. Now, not for, like, the casual fan, not for the person who watches, you know, a McGregor fighter, a Jones fighter, watches those five times a year. I'm talking about people in the sport, maybe even fighters, maybe even coaches who haven't looked at all the intricacies or long-term fans and are just kind of getting into it. What do you think are the main things that are kind of... Mm, the, the difference between the understanding of the judges and how they look at it and the understanding of those people I just spoke about?
1: I think one of the things that still can get lost is this idea of control, especially um, because control, and, and part of it is, I think, a flaw in the wording of the, the criteria itself, right? Because criteria, uh, the, third, the tertiary level of, of evaluating around is control and we when we talk about control when we're watching a fight we're talking about like top control we're talking about maybe if you're the one who's pressing the other fighter against the fence and i mean that's to a degree what it is in the criteria but it's also kind of taken on a, a new meaning in and of itself and and i think one thing that does get lost is yeah we talk about control there they controlled the round but it's it's just a little different than the idea of, oh, they were in control of the the action or something like that. Because really, we're just talking about when the UFC stats says control, they just mean someone who's on top. That's pretty much it. and And that doesn't get into the intricacies of, OK, I'm I have full guard on you and I turn off my alarm. <laughs> I have full guard on you. I'm, I am at least in a neutral position, if nothing else here, there, there's not exactly control. Cause what if I'm, what if I'm trying to set up, you know, mission control rubber guard, I'm more in control of that position, but I don't know how the UFC stats scores that I know we're going down rabbit holes here at this point, but yeah, I, I think control especially is I think something that gets vastly misunderstood. Um, and I think there is still some debate too, in a different direction about, you know, what, where we're, calling effective strikes and and that kind of thing and and how uh impactful it is and and how much you're supposed to weigh you know one big impactful strike versus a bunch of smaller impactful strikes is like where's the line these things get tricky right
0: 100 percent. i think what like did and the difference maybe between the impactful strikes part of it and the control part is at least in the criteria it is written that the more immediately impactful score higher than the, the cumulative. So. There is an explanation for that, but I agree with you on the first part that the wording maybe uh, isn't there or maybe needs to be adjusted. Or I actually think taken out uh, about the control part of it. I think if we just did away with the, the third uh, part of, of the criteria, we, we would be a lot better off because a lot of people, uh, as you said, like they, they just mentioned, oh, control is in the criteria. What are you talking about? I've read the criteria. I see control is in the criteria, but they miss the fact that it's a ladder. That That's a big part of it, isn't it?
1: I would go a step further and I I honestly don't feel that we need either the secondary or the tertiary uh, methods or criteria there. The judges, when you talk to judges experienced judges, they'll tell you they've almost never, if ever even gone to the second level, but all it does is muddy the water for people who don't necessarily understand because they'll watch around and think, okay, that was pretty close. Guess we'll just say that's even let's go to the next level. That's not really how a judge is going to do it. They're going to, pour over it they're going to agonize and try to come up with some way in which someone came up with one technique even one technique as the criteria says where they were better than the other fighter and that's how they're going to score the round because if we were going to see uh them go to the second third levels and then go to the 10 10 potentially we would have seen it in a fight like uh, round one of esparza and uh rose namunas number two and
0: it didn't happen 100% or the, the oil Romero Adesanya you know a couple of dim rounds maybe even and it was funny I, I'd even argue that
1: first round probably could have still been because was, there was that one big, one punch, big right? punch that, that yeah. really should have been a Romero round but yeah, I, I could see how people would get there right because there was nothing happening for about four minutes <laughs> without, without.
0: but it, it's weird that, you know you said that and that was one I was thinking of as well and you know let's not necessarily that say that fight but I've talked to judges in rounds like that the judges that actually judged the round and they told me I was close but I didn't go through it like like I've the, the the most outlier of outlier rounds in terms of nothing happening, and the judges are like saying, "I kind of thought about it, but I didn't do it." And like when it's outlier rounds that they're not being given for, what's the point of even having? It? I just think it causes confusion. I, d- I definitely think that's uh, a solid uh, a solid misconception. Let's get into some of the news, I suppose, that's happened, I suppose, in the last few weeks or, or a little bit longer, even uh, in the world of judging. And a massive thing for me is that. Um, Two of, in my opinion, the two best judges coming out of the UK at the moment. We've been doing it for a long time. Ben Cartledge uh, and David Leatherby um, have. I think Ben Cartledge has already judged in Nevada, and he's gone over to the uh, the US and and uh, done fights there, and obviously been given his license. I think David Leatherby. I'm not sure if it's already happened, but it's coming up anyway. He's having his licensing hearing, and usually those he, sort of things. He
1: has been licensed. He has yes, been licensed. Okay, happened, right. uh, I want to say it was last, or maybe two weeks ago, oh, or something yeah. like that. Whenever the Nevada State Athletic Commission had their their, uh, their monthly meeting yeah
0: very good so you would think he would be booked in fights very very soon which I think is great it's something I've talked about for a long time you know when you bring US judges over to the UK and, and Ireland and Europe it makes judging better and I think when you be- bring the best judges from this side of the world over as well it's massive and especially in nevada when you think i think someone told me there was 24 ufc events alone i think in nevada last year something around that anyway that's a lot of work that's every two weeks people are getting out there and a lot of turnover for judges as well so just to get a new eye on fights and and a very, very good eye as well in fights. It's great because America, like America is a big country and all of that and it's, MMA is massive. But still, the actual top level judges, there still aren't many of them. And I think it's a great thing to bring over the judges. What are your thoughts on, on these two guys coming over uh, to America and and uh, joining the pool over there?
1: Well, I like the idea of it even just in general, the, the fact that we're branching out Outside of the, the borders of the United States and North America um, to bring in international judges because it's more opportunities for them to work together and for the world to continue trying to get onto the same page in terms of what they see in rounds. Um, because you know, that crew, you know, the you know, Cartledge, Leatherby, you know, the Daryl Ransoms, the and and, and and those types who work a lot of the Cage Warriors shows, they work so often together. They they seem to be very much on the same page very frequently. But that's like almost like a different book, right? They're in their own book and they're on the same page. Whereas in America, uh, the top level judges who are typically working out in Las Vegas, whether it's the local ones or the traveling ones, they're also very much on the same page uh, very frequently, too. But it's a little bit different book. And, and you and I know why, Sean. It has a lot to do with the fact in the la- you know, two years ago we had that round in uh, Adesanya and, and Blahovitch, round five. Dana White didn't like the way the 10-8s were given in the fifth round. And ever since then, there's been a whole blowback. It's a different way of scoring 10-8s. And it's it's kind of messed up almost everything. So if we're going to get everyone on the same page again, although maybe that almost makes it worse for the guys in the UK because they have to deal with other stuff now. Um, I don't know. but I think like the idea in general of kind of a judging mixer, so to speak, where everybody's kind of getting on the same page and, and having these conversations because they're all passionate about it. It can only help the sport.
0: I'll, I'll jump back to the 10-8 situation in a second because I definitely want to talk more about that. But on, just on Cartilage and Ledeby themselves, I think if you look at guys like that and, and people always ask like where judges come from how they you know i suppose come up how they get to the top level and there's different ways of doing it obviously but it's i think it's very interesting now how before it was usually the path was you're a judge in america if you maybe you've gone on with the uh obviously before it would have been new jersey commission or in california or in nevada uh you work the lower shows and you work your way up. but now the fact that they can do it in the uk the fact that they're Is Cage Warriors there, as you mentioned, and high-level, five-round Cage Warriors fights... Plus, a lot of these guys have been working in KSW as well. Plus, they've got their chances in the UFC and probably have done, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 UFC events already before going to America, doing Bellator events that have been in Ireland and the UK and Europe as well. These guys are already highly decorated judges by the time they even get there. So, it's kind of a no-brainer for me, and it's, it's a good decision. We often talk about these commissions and we might in a second, again, talk about how they make bad decisions, but for me, this is a very, very good decision. And, like, if there was bad judges being brought over, it wouldn't be. But the fact that they are very good judges and proven they are very good judges as well uh, is interesting. Let's let's So let's move on. Let's talk about the 10-8 because uh, we, there was a fight night in Brazil a couple of uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I suppose, or 10 days ago, or whatever it is at this stage. Um, and I noticed, I don't know if you noticed it, but there was a couple of like differentials between the 10 of maybe the American judges and the 10-8s of the Brazilian judges. What's your understanding right now of the... The ten eight position, because we know what happened, and maybe you can explain it to the people, and I've talked about it, I've done a video on it here before on Sherdog, about the change to the 10-8, but it felt like, for me, for a while, and I was talking to a couple of judges, and they said, like, it's been rolled back a small bit, just from them themselves, it feels like. And I just wonder, is that a fact? Where do you think it is? But also, let's say a cartilage let it be comes in, or let's say other judges come in, new judges come in. Are they being told about that change to the 10 Is this like, right, the directive is still there, you still have to judge 10 in this way? Or are we going to see judges on the same fight judge in a different way? What's
1: your call on that? I mean, it's a good question. I mean, you have, again, those UK judges are judging one way, and I'm pretty sure they're judging, I would think, by the letter of the law, whatever is in that book, because they don't have to answer to, you know, whoever's in charge in California or in Nevada or what have you. They don't have to worry about that, at least up until this point. They just need to judge based on those three and a half pages we always talk about. And Nothing changed there. They, they, the rules and regulations committee changed nothing out of it in the last year. It's still the same definition. You can do, you know, a, you can do a ten eight. You can consider a ten eight if you have two D's and they do lack necessarily damage. What we're seeing now, of course, is they'd really like the damage to be one of the D's at, out of Nevada, out of the United States, and that kind of thing. So, will they have to come in there and adjust? I don't know. I'm sure that they are aware of that because judges all talk to each other. Um, they're all, they, they have their own little, uh, at the top level, especially because they've met, they've worked together, that kind of thing there. There's a lot of leaning on each other for, for advice and talking and, and watching rounds and that kind of thing. It's, it's something they sh- I would imagine are aware of how will they have to adjust to that? I don't know, but it's, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see, uh, when we get it a little bit more, but you know, that Typically you you see the matchmaking in the UFC i think it has improved to the point where there are fewer situations where we do have a lot of the beatdowns we did have at UFC 283 in Brazil there were there were some lopsided fights especially on the main card and I don't, know, I don't I don't think that was for lack of trying. I think they did their part, but it just it kind of went
0: that way, right? That's true. Um, yeah, 100%. But did you, yeah, so. do you think the 10-8s have been kind of... Okay, so what you were talking about there is the damage is a necessity, and I actually think overwhelming damage is kind of a necessity as well, and that was yeah. the change they made after the fight you said there, the Adesanya, uh, Blachowicz, but also kind of the Amanda Nunes fight led into it as well, and there was a couple of more fights that led into it, I think, for Dana White to make this big proclamation uh, at the time. Is it so like let's say two months after Dana White made that proclamation and they changed everything and we started to see ten eights not being scored the same way as they were for the previous eighteen months or whatever it was. Where do you think we are now?
1: We are definitively in a period where it's very hard to get three judges who see a ten-eight it just doesn't happen. We had all last year in the UFC for all the fights they had, I think it was like 511 fights or something like that. And, and you know, so many rounds, actually I can tell you there were 1,500, no, 2,914 rounds scored last year in the UFC. And 10 of them were unanimous 10 eights. So we're not seeing a whole lot of agreement here. There's a lot that will be, you know, two out of three or a 10-8, but we used to see a lot more frequency of this. It, it was probably two to three times as often. Uh, and, and now it has, has slipped very distinctly back. So if you're banking on getting that 10-8 in the final round to try and come back and make it a draw, like it, it, it's almost not going to happen.
0: But that, doesn't that kind of show, too, it's actually not the judges doing that, it's actually the adjustment to the criteria, or the adjust, not even the criteria hasn't been adjusted, but the adjust, adjustment to, I suppose, how judges are supposed to judge under the criteria has changed. It's a, it's a different mandate. A hundred percent, and that if there has ever been a clearer um, you know showing of that change it's just exactly what you said there and I, I really like I don't know if you agree or not but I really think we need to roll it back I think where we were it wasn't perfect it, judging is never going to be perfect as I always say no. that but there was never a better time in judging than that 18 month period or whatever it was when the 10 were being scored like that it took a while for it to obviously change back in 2017 when the, the criteria changed at the end of 2016 uh, obviously um, but I think once they got that locked in, it, it kind of fixed that position where people were talking about half points and we didn't really need them because we were using the nines and we were using the eights. And I feel like judging, it's not the judging has regressed since then. It's just the ability for the judges to give the right scores has regressed in my opinion. It's really hard to, hasn't it?
1: It, you know, I, I always stress the fact that I, I think judges need more tools in the box than they have, because at this point, especially now, we're looking at it and are saying, OK, we want to try and you know, I'll, I'll give you a, I'll give you an example. Right. So we were having renovations done in my my children's house uh, recently. Right. And they you know, maybe it wasn't the the uh, neatest job around the edges and the details of the painting and that kind of thing at the very end of the project. And I said, okay, maybe we can, uh, maybe we can kind of neaten that up before we close out and everything. And, Rather than using one of those kind of detailing brushes, they use their still giant brush. And I'm like, it's not really going to get the job done. And we're we're using the giant brush in this scenario as the nine. Like the nine has to cover almost every single thing, whether it's, you know, a, a very, very close round that nothing happens in as far as a, you know, a Nama Unis, Or if it's a round that like comes all the way up to the point where it's like, gee, I wonder if this is a beat down enough for it to get there, but not quite. And it doesn't work like the, the judges need more tools to be able to get it done. So I've, I've always maintained that we should find a way to use the seven even more often. Like we should stretch these definitions out a little bit more because what it's almost vestigial to have a seven on at this point, especially now, if they can't get to an eight, they're not getting to a seven.
0: A hundred percent. It it felt like because the eight was stretched, the seven was almost coming into play a lot more. Whereas now, when it could be a ten-seven, we're thinking about, oh look, no, that's kind of a definite ten-eight. So it it, it kind yeah. of it kind of follows. It's it's like one player is out of position, it drags another player out of position, drags another player out of position, and then the whole team just falters. And that's really the thing. Like people talk about, and we'll talk about Doug Crosby here in a second, but people talk about issues in MMA judging. And so, one, that is the biggest issue for me. It's by far the biggest issue in the last while. If that was changed, MMA judging would exponentially improve. I have another thing we could talk about in a second, which would improve uh, MMA exponentially. And you can do it like that tomorrow, overnight. But we'll get to that in a second. Let's talk about Douglas Crosby because, uh, you know... I think it's funny. A lot of people always say after fights and after rounds, there's, uh oh, we, we never hear from these judges. And then no one ever says anything about them. We never know their names. They're never held accountable, and all. It feels like Douglas Crosby after a couple of a well one egregious card anyway, kind of got held to account, didn't he? Got held to account by, by public opinion. I know and you know as well that these judges are held to account after cards after because they got taken into a meeting and they had to discuss it. And from my uh, knowledge on that talk, and talking the judges, sometimes they, they discuss it, you know, very well and are told very clearly if they have made a mistake or not. But wh- what's your opinion, I suppose, on that overall? But on Douglas Crosby as well, a guy who I know even inside judging circles uh, hasn't been a guy who has a lot of respect, is he?
1: I, I think I, I think it's funny with doug Crosby when you talk to other judges there there seems to be at least some some measure of respect for him and his 20 years doing this and that kind of thing it's it's more they respect kind of his his i guess accumulated experience right and the fact that he he isn't necessarily a bad judge or anything like that but that he's it looks to me especially as an outsider that he just didn't evolve when the criteria changed he didn't and, and he maybe always had his own way of doing it. And you're, you're seeing stories that are reported out of, you know, MMA fighting had something about how he would go to judges and, or go to gyms, excuse me, and say, this is how I judge. It's like, well, you're judging in a way that doesn't match up how everyone else is doing it. That's that's what's a little strange about this. But, uh, you know, to get back to your point about the accountability and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think. I mean, first off, the only thing that needs to be accountable here is is he is labeled a bad judge. That's that's, I think, punishment enough. Right. Uh, You know, when we're talking about mixed martial arts, we're only talking about being punished by labeled. So Uh,
0: Dan Dan Hoy degrees. Yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly. But it does. uh, We don't know anything until enough time passes, but. If we see that we're not seeing uh, Doug Crosby staffed in, you know, Mohegan's son commissioned uh, fights over for Bellator, if we're not seeing him in Nevada for a while, I think you can read between the lines and see what's going on there. Then the commissions are never going to go out there and be like, yeah, we fired this judge. You're not going to get that cathartic. If you're rooting for him to just be fired, like, you know, old Donald Trump style on The Apprentice, it's just not going to happen. It'll never happen. But you're not going to see his name anymore. And maybe you won't notice it, but Sean and I will
0: do you think that's going to happen have you heard that anywhere that people are not going to book him like i i I posted recently i was like if the first commission who books him it's going to be a story because everyone is going to say this commission this commissioner booked him have you any insight on that that he's not going to get booked or is it just a a call like myself
1: there's a lot of tight-lippedness with that kind of thing it's not the type of thing they want to leak out but i i think if you read between the lines of a lot of things and rumblings that i've heard uh, i would kind of be surprised if we saw much of doug crosby again if any um and 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 the other part of is i would say commission to commission you just don't know because i would say it's very likely if he was to not work anywhere maybe it wouldn't be nevada anymore especially they just hired a judge in in david leatherby um but somewhere like texas and he's worked texas before i have no idea how they would handle it would they bring him in they don't bring in a whole lot of traveling judges he is one of them When next time they go to Houston or or San Antonio or Dallas or what have you, that's what I'm going to be watching for.
0: Yeah, we, I think we've enough problems with the Texas Commission already <laughs> they're trying to get themselves in the road we'll, uh, we'll wait with uh, bated breath on that one one yeah. thing that came out of the Douglas Crosby charade though I suppose was this kind of curtailing of travelling that the uh, California Commission done and I don't know if you've heard my uh, thoughts on it but I just think it's ridiculous I, I just think it's senseless uh, altogether now okay some travel if someone's coming from Australia the night before a card and they've been travelling for 24 hours and they get five minutes sleep fair enough yeah I, I under. I 100% uh, understand there. you don't want someone, you know, turning up after a cross-country flight 10 minutes before or whatever doing it. But I just think it's senseless it's for a number of different reasons. The first of which is kind of the up-and-coming judges who might want to do, you know, if there's a Thursday fight night, a Friday fight night, a Saturday night night, and a Sunday fight night, to do all of them you know, after work or maybe take, the you know, the Friday off or whatever it might be to gain all that experience so they can can become the next Bin Cartlidge, the next Sal D'Amata, the next Chris Lee or Ron McCarthy, whoever it might be. They have to work their way up doing that. Travel is going to be involved in that. And if they can't do that, if they're missing out on shows, that I think is going to make judging worse. Also, I think... If there is, let's say, a Bellator California show on a Friday, and a, uh, and and one in, you know, New York or wherever it might be, okay, it's a five-hour flight or wherever it might be. People can take a five-hour flight and work the next day. It's, not, I don't think it's going to kill them. I would rather have a good judge take a five-hour flight and judge a fight somewhere else than a good judge in one place and a bad judge in another place. If you get me, I just don't see it. I, I, I can understand if you want to put in no, you know, cross-country flights within. 12 hours before it or something like that or no uh, outside of America flights or something like that but I just think this is, is senseless and I and I think it's just them doing something to placate to the people who want a, a change in judging that's not necessarily needed. The change in judging that's needed is getting rid of Douglas Crosby. The change in judging that's needed is to adjust the 10 To me, I didn't i i i can see look there's some points of it that will be good but the vast majority for me is just bad what, what did you think of that change so when that change
1: came about it, it pretty much codified and and notified people in something that really was frowned upon to begin with because i'd heard at times about this i mean you know if you pay attention to who's judging bellator friday and ufc saturday you'll see that it does happen and it, it it happens probably more often than people had realized and most of them don't notice so they don't care and this is the point where we actually see it because he's high profile right um, but it is something the commissions were big fans of to begin with they really did not like when that happened so to see them actually put it out there as a mandate in light of this it didn't surprise me so that's number one number two i, I would push back a little bit on the idea that this could hurt Uh, up and coming judges, because I would actually see the other way. What if we have a judge who's on the other side of the country and normally they would fly over and fly, you know, maybe into Vegas and do that UFC card or maybe in California or what have you, right? That opens up another spot if they can't do that for another judge to go in there and get extra work that maybe they weren't available to. So I could see it actually spreading the, uh, the work around a little bit more differently. And that actually could benefit judging on the whole
0: maybe at the top level but I think at the lower levels it wouldn't because everyone on the lower level is staying in their locality anyway maybe but the top level judge is going to be just another top level judge going into another top level spot I suppose but I can see maybe, maybe you're right on that it's just I my biggest problem with it I think was just it was such a reactionary thing to like just placate the people really and I know Ariel talked about it. I know you know he means well and all but I, I like I really don't think that intricacies are there from people like that who actually like care about it and actually see it the way we talk about it and looking at it, that like something and then the next one they wanted to talk about like the judge's cage side positioning that's a way bigger issue I think than anything yes. like that like I, I took a picture there recently I can't remember the, the, the fight but it was a big head kick and I, it was Ron McCarthy was the judge I'm pretty sure and I paused the head kick and just as it was about to land Ron McCarthy was behind a big fucking doorway in in the cage, could not see it. He was lucky. He was smart, and he moved his head, and was just able to see the head kick. But imagine if it happened. It was a nanosecond earlier. It landed, knocked him down. Then Ron McCarthy would not be able to score the head kick because he hasn't seen it, and that's yeah. all to do with the, his positioning in the cage. I know you've talked about that problem before. The judges. Honestly, I remember talking to a judge at the last Bellator Dublin card, and he said to me, "We fight each other to get away from that position. We do not want to be. We want to be at the big wide open expanse. That's a major problem, and it's a problem that can be solved because there are enough positions to put them. But it's photographers. It's you know Dana White at the UFC and other people. But the judges
1: staff too. Yeah, judges
0: should, should take. Uh, they should be the first ones to give a choice. There shouldn't they?
1: I think them and the commentary staff, those are the ones that make the most sense because you definitely want the people talking about the fight to know exactly what's going on. That's that's also a, a key component there because it, it, it's an entertainment sport, as you know very well, Sean. Um, but this You do need to, I think, you should give your your uh, officials the best position and able, and to be able to do their job and adjudicate the way that they're meant to Um, you do get at least to give them screens and you'll see a lot of guys will, when they get into that situation in the UFC, especially because they always have screens, they will look down. But even when you're looking from, you know, real life down to the screen, it's going to, you're going to miss something, even for a fraction of a second. It's a very tough thing. You want to keep your eyes on it. And that's another thing why I kind of sometimes will push back on the idea that judges should only be watching screens. It's like, well, they're watching it one way, but then all of a sudden some guy will just take their view away and they have to adjust to it too. And yeah, I mean, it's not that hard to kind of adjust, but maybe you're just going to miss something. I, I think as much as we can, we do want them to be able to see with their own eyes in person the best view that they possibly can. So, I mean, I'm wholeheartedly
0: with you. A hundred percent. I think that's one of those things that unless maybe you spoke to a judge, unless you're looking out for it, maybe you wouldn't see it or you wouldn't even notice it. But when you do notice it, you start to unsee it. It's a very changeable problem that can be adjusted almost immediately. Um, Let's talk about two more things. I really appreciate uh, your time. I saw you uh, tweeted John Anik there a couple of weeks ago about like the the split decision percentage uh, in the UFC, um, and I thought it was very interesting because you since you sat them and it's risen over the last couple of years. I, I think it's I think it's a little bit. Of a misnomer, if I'm being honest, just because. Well, there's two two main reasons really. I got. I don't know if you got it, but a couple of years ago, the UFC had this uh, stat book that they send out to people. I know I, they used to do it yearly. I think I got a couple of them. But you look at it and the rise in decisions throughout the years and the uh, the fall off in. Uh, Finishes has been stark in the last few years in the UFC. So there are going to be more decisions and therefore there are going to be more split decisions. But not in that itself, even the, the split decision percentage has risen. So it's not necessarily just that. I think the other big part of it as well is just the level of fighter, the level of fights, and the level of matchmaking in terms of There are a lot more fighters, so a lot more fighters at the same level and a lot more close fights. Like you just said it there about Brazil. It's funny, we saw bartering 10-8 rounds loads of times in Brazil because the matchmaking was a little bit off, I suppose, which we don't see a lot of um, anymore because there are so many fighters and the level has risen. That's just naturally going to lead to... Uh, a rising split decision percentage, isn't it? And I think that's a major. Like, I think that's a major reason. Not, not to, not to be the judging advocate here, but I think that's more of a reason than bad judging or anything.
1: Well, one thing I, I do want to make sure I cor- uh, maybe clarify with you about the the stat that I shared. It was it was about splits in rounds, so it wasn't even split decisions. It was yes. very specific yes. to when they when there is dissent in a round. Um, so it's it's essentially it's the average. Time in which uh, our average, uh, you know, rate, I guess, a judge would disagree with his other two judges. Right. So that that has very steadily climbed in the last three years in particular. And I think the reason why, if I can kind of interpret that stat. I believe it has especially to do, and I don't think you're wrong. I do think that, you know, the fact that there are there, are the, the the gap in talent is closing and that is making it harder for judges to be able to figure out who won around because both of them are doing good things and it's close. That's one factor. The other factor I think is the fact that for 2020, which was the, the point at which they were most in agreement, it was the same judges every week, almost the entirety of the year because of the pandemic and they were able to calibrate themselves in a way that we had not seen before. And judging really and truly in 2020 was the best that it's literally ever been. Uh, and people still complained, of course, because that's how it is. But they, but that was really the point. And ever since then, we started to see them travel a little bit more. We're seeing a little bit more judges from different areas kind of mix in and that kind of thing. And that's where we're starting to see in my in my interpretation, the rise in terms of how often there is a, a disagreement in a round in the UFC. That's how I see that.
0: I hadn't thought of that, but uh, that's a great point. Yeah, it really, it's like you even see, you mentioned earlier about the UK judges and maybe they judge in, on a, a certain book and another the, the uh, US judges on a different book but, but and not was, intentionally. Either. Not intentionally, no. And it's even, I think, before the change in the 10 8s, I think they were all on the same book, if we're being honest there. And I think they can get back to that way again. But it'll be interesting to see how that works. But uh, yeah, I, I would agree with that. That just shows as well the consistency, doesn't it? That, like, when everyone is working under the same book, when we all talk about it and sit down, it tends it to all go the same way. So that's very interesting. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about, maybe, do you know what, maybe I'll get you back on again and we can talk about this, for, maybe for the, whole, for, the, <laughs> for the whole podcast, because it, it could take up that. But the second round of uh, Figueroa versus uh, Moreno was one that kind of stuck out to me. And not even necessarily the whole round, but the first round and the second round, where there was takedowns and kind of submissions that came after more possible submissions. And this whole thought of effective grappling uh, and it being equal with effective striking. and. I gave the second round to, to Figueiredo. I think you did too, if I'm not mistaken. I did as job. Well. So I, I gave the second round to Figueiredo, and I had someone tweet me and, and said, oh, I guess we're not scoring effective grappling anymore. And I gave the round based <laughs> on effective grappling. Like, I gave it to him because he was... And, like, that's, that's the thing. He got taken down, but he was very, very close. To getting a submission now maybe okay very very close maybe um unfair but he made moreno defend and defend and defend and defend and that was and the that's what judges argument. are looking for mm-hmm. was that the way you saw it, too and was that the reason you gave it to him because sometimes i feel like i'm on an island myself looking at things here but that to me was effective grappling is that the reason
1: you? it, it gave absolutely it? is and and actually just while you pulled while you were talking about this i, I pulled up really quickly the ufc stats on that round for striking right and Significant strikes, which I think I I complain all the time about significant strikes as a stat because what's an insignificant strike, right? That's that's kind of the the neither here nor there. But I'm looking at significant strikes and Brandon Moreno landed 17 strikes in that round and Davis Figueredo landed 10. So if I'm basing it on anything other than grappling, Moreno wins the round in in theory. But yeah, I mean, that guillotine choke, that is 100% what tipped the round for me and what I thought was otherwise pretty close i actually didn't think it was that close necessarily by the end with that guillotine not that you couldn't make an argument the other way i can I, you know and that's the thing with the criteria right there's almost room for you can make almost any argument depending on where your viewpoint is and where you saw and what that kind of thing right but here it looked a lot more clear than in other rounds that this should be a eight round if someone's looking for the finish and they actually are getting something that has some tangible evidence that the other fighter needs to do something to avoid that finish, that's going to score. And that guillotine most definitely did that. So you have, during the broadcast, uh, Daniel Cormier, who obviously has his own opinions about judging. Um, I'll leave it at that. But it, it, for him to not see how this could possibly be a figure eight around, I, I think is stunning, to be honest. And it kind of gets the, the wrong message out there.
0: I think it's because you kind of have to look at the effective striking, the effective grappling in different ways. Like the effective striking is kind of when it's not being defended, you know, when you're hitting someone in the face and they're not defending it. Effective grappling is almost when when it is being defended, <laughs> you know, it's scoring when it's no one, if someone's you know has you in an armbar and you're not defending it or you're just punching them. Well, that's probably not that effective, you know. You're, you'd be trying to move and get out if it was breaking your arm. And when you're like, oh, you have to pull up and you're trying to straighten your arm to get out of it or you're trying to pull off the choke or trying to get their hands out, That I think that's an intricacy. And it feels like sometimes we don't even look at that. We got to, th- he got to take down. Oh, he's taking him down, he's taking. Him. Uh, what about him being held in a guilty? What about him being held, you know, a triangle on, it. just completely missing out on that. And that's, that's one of the things as well, because it's so frustrating you get to the end of the fight and the, are the yeah, well, I suppose it was the end of the fight, but they're, they're like, he was clearly three rounds up. And they were talking about when the eye poke that wasn't a poke happened. Whereas all three judges had it 1-1 at that stage, you know? And okay, he I think one judge gave him a 10-8 as well uh, in the third round. So he was 2-1 ahead by the time it came there. But it wasn't as if this was like a fight that was already over by the time he broke his orbital or by the time he punched him in the face. It was literally dead even on all the cards. And you have people in the commentary box just spewing this absolute rubbish. And I like, I think John Lennick has done a great job of trying to learn and I think, you know, obviously Big John is, is very good at it and I think the Cage Warriors crew are graded as well and Kenny Florian has done a great job trying to learn as well I think Kenny is absolutely dead on so good but you can kind of notice now really easily the people who can't or the people are just saying I was a fighter I know exactly how to score these rounds to the criteria kind of and it's just so frustrating because it's it's not that it's easy to to understand it but when you have all that knowledge when you know about all these um, intricacies of the sport surely adjusting your thinking over to how they're scored in the criteria should be a lot easier than for you know people like uh, like you and me but seemingly not is it
1: People like to suspect that these judges have a bias towards striking or towards grappling or that kind of thing. And and, and look, I'm not going to sit here and say they don't because every human has certain biases, right? It's, it's hard to negate them. I think what the ju- a good judge would do is try to avoid or, you know, kind of mitigate that by saying, OK, let's let's kind of step out of my experience and, and really take the round for what it is. Right. So it's it's something a journalist would do. Right. When they're writing, try to be unbiased. but. Uh, I'd say the most biased people of all are definitely the former fighters because they, they you know, DC is a wrestler. How often is he complaining about whether something was scored a takedown or not? Which doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. It, it's such a, like, you talk about a nerd. That is a wrestling nerd to a T and not even the pro wrestling nerd. That's an amateur wrestling, you know, Greco-Roman freestyle wrestling uh, nerd right there because the judges don't count the takedown. They count the impact from the takedown and I think that's something that
0: gets lost 100% and the impact that comes after the takedown as well exactly like the Moreno Figueredo here it wasn't impact with strikes it was impact with the guillotine you know it was impact with the grappling and as I said that's maybe uh, another chat for another day but Scott I really appreciate you joining me uh, here today thank you very much for that and I won't keep you any longer tell the people where they can find you your writing your podcasts and all of that let them know
1: well, uh, you know, I write for the New York Post. You can go to nypost.com uh, and find my sports, my stuff there. It's under the MMA tab almost always, right? Um, and then, of course, my Couchside Judges podcast. I host with Dan Urban every week. We talk about the rounds from the previous week. We talk about some other things in the very few off weeks that we get. Um, but, yeah, you should tune in. And I would say if you're interested in, in any point in the data that I was talking about in terms of, you know, split rounds and that kind of thing, I encourage you to find uh, the Couchside Judges data shows we do them annually. And we deep dive into a lot of things that you know, are trends, these kind of things that maybe you might not be aware of and might kind of help you understand uh, where judging is uh, in the modern time.
0: I'm I'm I actually I think I downloaded that the other day to, to go and listen to it, so I must listen to that now it's uh it's probably a thing that I if it's an hour long podcast I'll spend five hours listening to because I'll be pausing it and writing down things and thinking about it, and I'm definitely too lazy to keep all that uh, that data myself so <laughs> I, I I definitely appreciate you doing it Scott thank you very much for joining me thank you to everyone uh for listening my name is Sean Sheehan for SharkDog.com. dot com I'll see you all next time.